This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you guys so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. We also post the video version onto YouTube as well every Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed. Now, you guys, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, we are diving in to truly one of the most convoluted true crime cases that I have come across in quite some time. As you can tell by the title, today we are diving in to the case of Carrie Farver. This is one of the most twisted cases, like I said, that I have seen. And part of the reason I wanted to cover this case today is because if you guys have seen or if you have Netflix, there recently was a documentary that was released called Lover, Stalker, Killer. And the case really dives deep into the case that we're talking about today, the case of Carrie Farver. And I recently watched that episode or that documentary when it was released and I was reminded of this case. I had heard about this case and again, watched previous documentaries about it years prior. And when I recently saw Lover, Stalker, Killer, I thought that I had already covered this case. It was one that I thought that I shared with you guys before. However, upon going Going back and relooking, I realized I had never covered this case with you guys. And I could not believe it because it is one that absolutely boggles my mind, as I know it will yours if you have not already heard of it. And so that is why I wanted to cover it today because not only is it one of the most twisted cases that I have heard of, but also it falls under the umbrella of the true crime category for February, which is killer couples and scorned lovers. So that is why we are going to be talking about this case today. Now, I do also want to mention that we are going to be touching on some points that weren't mentioned in the documentary. So if you think that you've heard it all about this case, I do have some other things that weren't mentioned in that specific documentary. So with that being said, I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Let's jump right on into it today. Now, to understand this case, we really need to understand the people that we are dealing with and to understand what happened to Carrie Farver we need to go back and look at a man named Dave Krupa. Dave was a 35-year-old mechanic at the time that this case had begun, and for the previous 12 years, Dave had been dating a woman named Amy. Him and Amy had two children during that time. However, the relationship ended, and Dave moved out of their home and got a one-bedroom apartment in Omaha, Nebraska, and a job at a local auto shop. After the breakup with Amy, Dave decided that he was going to put himself back out there and began dating again. Now, at first, Dave really didn't know where to turn when it came to putting himself back out there and really getting back on the market. So he decided that the best way to begin this process was to turn to online dating. 
Now, the time frame that we're looking at here is 2012, and this was the year that Dave and Amy broke up and when Dave began dating again, putting himself back on the market again. And one of the profiles that he made was a plenty of fish dating profile. Now, something to note about Dave is that at this time period of his life, because he had just gotten out of a 12-year relationship, he was not looking for any serious relationship or commitment at this time. Like I mentioned, he just got out of a very long-term relationship and he wasn't interested in jumping into another commitment. If anything, Dave was looking for casual dating, friends with benefits, hookups. That was mainly his mindset at this time. Dave said himself that he hadn't been single for 12 years and he just wanted to have fun, have things be casual and just date around and that he did. Dave was actually quite the ladies man and the charmer on these dating sites and he had plenty of success when it came to casual hookups. But the one thing to know about Dave is that he would always let the women that he was dating know up front about his intentions. He always was very, very clear about the fact that he wasn't looking for commitment. He wasn't looking for anything long term. And if the women that he was dating had the same intentions and if those values aligned, then things would continue. But he was always very upfront. He never let anyone on. He never told anyone things that they would want to hear just for the sake of wanting to hear them. He was always very, very clear in that regard. Now, one of the women that Dave first began dating was a woman named Liz Golier. Now, Liz Golier's full name is Shanna Elizabeth Golier. However, she went by the name Liz. Liz at the time was a single mom with two children who were around the same age as Dave's kids. So that was something that they had in common. Liz also ran a housekeeping business called Liz's Housekeeping. When Dave saw Liz on Plenty of Fish, he said that he was attracted to her looks and the two began talking and ultimately set up a date. The first date between Dave and Liz was at a coffee shop and Dave described Liz as being bright, engaging, bubbly, and the two had a lot of fun together. Now, like I mentioned, Dave was always very clear with his intentions, so he was very upfront with Liz from the beginning about how he had just gotten out of a 12-year relationship and really wasn't looking for anything serious. He wanted something more casual with no stress, no strings attached, and just wanted to have fun. And during that conversation, Liz was very receptive to that. She agreed with Dave that they were looking for the same thing, and she was also very happy and glad that Dave was clear about that communication up front. So Dave figured that the two of them were on the same page. Now, over the next few months, Dave continued to see Liz on a casual basis and also continued dating around, casually dating, and it was six months after he initially met Liz when Dave met another woman, and this woman is named Carrie Farver. Now, Carrie Farver was born on November 30th, 1974 to her parents, Nancy Rainey and Dennis Carver. Carrie grew up and was living in a small town called Macedonia, which is in Iowa, and Macedonia was a small rural community and Carrie and her family always felt very, very safe there. Carrie was the type of person that everyone gravitated to. She had that energetic and magnetic personality that really just made you want to be friends with her. Now, at the time that her and Dave met, Carrie was a 37-year-old single mother to a 14-year-old son and was working as a computer programmer at a big firm in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, the one thing that meant more to Carrie than anything in the world was her son. She was her son's biggest cheerleader. In 2012, her son was getting ready to go to high school and Carrie was so excited for him in this new chapter of his life. And she was also very happy that she was now in a position where she was going to be able to provide her son a better life. She had a great job working as this computer programmer at this big firm, and she was really looking forward to her and her son's future. Now, even though Dave was no stranger to the dating sites at the time, him and Carrie actually met the old-fashioned way. One afternoon in October 2012, Carrie had pulled into the auto shop that Dave was working at at the time and asked Dave to take a look at her car to see if it needed to get some work done. And right from the start, the two had instant chemistry. Now, Dave claimed that he did try and keep things professional and simply just did the work on her car and Carrie went on her way 
way, but he claimed it was clear that there was some sort of spark there. Now, it wasn't until a few days later when Dave revisited the Plenty of Fish dating site that he came across Carrie's dating profile and the two instantly matched. Now, they began talking and they planned their first date for several days later on October 29th, 2012, and the first date was at Applebee's. Now, during the date, Carrie and Dave were having a great time. They were laughing. They were sharing stories about their life. They were just really enjoying each other's company. But something that Dave couldn't help but notice is that his phone was blowing up while he was on this date. He was constantly getting calls and text messages, and all of these calls and texts were coming from the same person, and that person was Liz Golier. Now, in these text messages, Liz was saying that she needed to go by Dave's apartment immediately because she left some of her belongings at his apartment and needed to go by and pick them up. And Dave simply responded to Liz while on the date, telling her that he wasn't going to be home for quite some time, that he was out for the night, and that maybe they could meet up the next day or a later date for her to retrieve her belongings. And Dave sent that message and put his phone down, thinking that was going to be it. Now, after finishing up at Applebee's, Dave and Carrie decided that they wanted to continue their date. The night was still young and they wanted to continue on with the rest of their night. So they decided that they were going to head back to Dave's apartment. Now, upon arriving at Dave's apartment, the two walk in, they're hanging out inside, and that is when Dave hears the buzzer to his apartment. Now, Dave's complex had a security door, so you would stand outside, you would press the buzzer to the specific apartment and the person who lived there would have to come out and let you in. And so when Dave heard the buzzer for his specific apartment, he was a little bit confused as to who would be buzzing him at this particular time. However, he went down and looked outside and that is when he saw Liz standing outside of his apartment complex. Now immediately he opened the door, asked Liz what was going on, and that is when Liz again reiterated that she left things at his apartment that she needed needed to get back. Now, obviously at this point, Dave feels like he's in a very awkward situation because upstairs in his apartment is this girl that not only he just had an amazing date with, but a girl that he really likes and is really enjoying his time with. And then outside is the girl that he had previously been dating and talking to. And now he's worried that the two of them are going to cross paths. And again, it's just an awkward situation all around. Now, at this point, Dave tells Liz to stay right there. He goes up to his apartment and explains to Carrie what the situation is and what is going on. Now, Carrie, when she heard this, definitely felt a little uncomfortable, but didn't make Dave feel bad about the situation. After all, it was their first date. This is them just getting to know each other. And so she told Dave that she was just going to grab her things and head back to her house. So Carrie ends up doing exactly that. And in order to leave Dave's apartment and get to her car, she does have to past Liz because again, Liz is standing right outside of the building. Now Liz and Carrie pass each other for all of 10 or 15 seconds before Carrie gets into her car and drives away. Now right after Carrie left, Liz went up to Dave's apartment, gathered her belongings, and this is when she told Dave that she was upset. She was upset over the fact that Dave was seeing other women, that he was casually dating, and Dave reiterated to Liz at this point that he was very clear with her up front about what his intentions were, that he was at a place in his life where he didn't want a serious relationship or commitment. So even though he was sorry that Liz was upset about this, he did say that, you know, he did let her know. He told her up front, and if she wasn't comfortable with continuing casually dating him, that it was no hard feelings, it was okay, and that he totally understood. Now, ultimately, Liz ended up leaving Dave's apartment. She wasn't happy. The two just weren't on the same page, but she did end up leaving the apartment. After Liz left Dave's, this is when Dave called Carrie and asked Carrie if she would want to come back to his apartment. Now, at this point, Carrie was already half way to her house and didn't feel like turning around and making the drive back to Dave's. So even though she didn't want to do that, she did say that if Dave felt up for it, that he could come over to her house. And Dave was very excited to hear this and got in his car and began driving over. 
Now, once Dave got to Carrie's home, the two basically picked up right where they left off. And before anything continued physically between the two of them, Carrie told Dave that she was only interested in casually dating him and casually seeing each other. She told Dave that if the two were going to continue having a physical relationship, that that was all it was going to be. If the two were going to hook up, that that was all it was going to be. She wanted a no strings attached agreement between the two of them. She claimed that she was not going to be his girlfriend. He was not going to be her boyfriend. And she claimed that she wasn't interested in getting into a serious relationship. She had this big job that she was really trying to focus on. She wanted to prioritize her son. And when Dave heard this, he claimed that he thought he hit the jackpot. Dave claimed that he couldn't believe that he found a woman that wanted the exact same things as him because it wasn't like Dave had to tell Carrie this and then Carrie just agreed. Carrie was the one who brought this up to Dave and the two were on exactly the same page. And not only is he now sitting here thinking that Carrie is absolutely stunning and smart and hardworking, she was raising her son, but they were also on the same page and looking for the same thing, which is something that Dave didn't think that he would find. So Dave was extremely happy at this point. Now, after the date between Dave and Carrie, Carrie would go on to tell her friends that she had a lot of fun with Dave. She told them that her and Dave had a lot of chemistry and that she didn't remember the last time she laughed that hard. Now, where Carrie's job was was only three blocks away from where Dave's apartment was. So right after the first date between Dave and Carrie, the two began spending quite a bit of time together. Carrie was working on a big project for work at this time, so she was working long hours, and instead of having to make the long commute from her home to work, Dave offered her to stay with him during that time. The two weren't moving in together by any means, but it was just easier to stay there on some nights during this hectic work period for Carrie. So this now brings us to November 13th of 2012. On this day, Dave claimed that it began like any other morning. He woke up in the morning with Carrie at his apartment, having slept there the night prior, and Dave left for work at approximately 6.30 a.m. Now, at the time that Dave left for work, Carrie was in his apartment working on her computer, and Dave gave her a hug and a kiss goodbye before walking out the door. Now, a few hours after getting to work, Dave said that he received a text message from Carrie at approximately 10 a.m. Now, according to him, in this text message, this said, quote, hey, we should move in together, end quote. And again, this was a text from Carrie to Dave. Now, immediately, Dave was caught off guard and very confused because he thought that the two of them were on the same page with what they were looking for and what they wanted. He was confused because Carrie made it very clear that she didn't want a serious relationship, and she was very clear about her intentions. So he didn't know what to think about this text. Now, Dave responded back to this text from Carrie by saying, I thought we talked about this? And the answer is no. And from there, Dave got a flood of text messages from Carrie. It was constant FUs. You've ruined my life. I hate you. I never want to see you again. You're going to regret this. And it was going on and on and on. Now, again, Dave was completely shocked at this point because not only did he think that him and Carrie lined up with their intentions, but the two of them had only been seeing each other for approximately two weeks at this point. So he had no idea what to think. Now, because of the string of text messages, Dave decided to go back home to his apartment around lunchtime to see if Carrie was still there. Oftentimes, she would go back to Dave's apartment for lunch as well. It was something that they did together. So this is when he thought that he would be able to talk to her and see what was going on. So Dave walked into his apartment. However, Carrie was not there. Her belongings were gone. All of her clothes were gone. And there was no sign of her at all. All. Now, again, Dave was very confused about all of this, confused about how this all came to be. However, from his perspective, again, the two had only known each other for about two weeks, so he figured that they would both just move on, that even though this came to a weird halt and a confusing end, that it wasn't too much time or really any time spent on the two of them, so they were just going to part ways. 
Now, for the next several days, Dave did not hear from Carrie at all. There were no text messages, no phone calls, no nothing. However, after several days, the text messages ramped up again, with each one being more confrontational and threatening than the next. Carrie would tell Dave that she was determined to ruin his life because he ruined hers and was just overall harassing Dave. Now, Dave really didn't play into any of these texts. He figured that if he didn't respond, then Carrie would just be arguing arguing with herself and she would ultimately get tired of it and move on. However, that did not happen. Now, several days after November 13th, which was the last time that anyone had seen Carrie, this is when her mom, Nancy, really began to worry. It wasn't like Carrie to not respond to her mom, and she especially knew that Carrie wouldn't go a few days without talking to her son or checking in on him and seeing how he was doing. And this is when ultimately Nancy decided to call the police and file a missing persons report on November 16th, 2012. Do you ever fantasize about who you'd be if you lived somewhere different? Maybe you'd surf if you lived by the beach. Or maybe if you lived in the city, you would live above a coffee shop and finally be able to write that novel you've always dreamed of. Or if you had a dishwasher, maybe you'd actually be able to start cooking and make a proper dinner at home. With over 1 million available units for rent on Apartments.com, the you abilities are endless. Apartments.com lets you narrow down exactly what you want and when you want it. And with their instant alert, you'll never miss out on seeing what could be your new perfect place. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place to live, whether that's an apartment, a townhome, or even a house, and they can help you find exactly what it is that you're looking for. Visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, Nancy was aware that her daughter was dating and that she was seeing Dave. So when filing the report, she did mention his name to police. And that's when cops decided to take a trip down to Dave's auto shop that he worked at and speak with him. Now, this was the first time when Dave was talking to police that he had learned that Carrie was missing. He told cops that he hadn't seen Carrie physically, but told them about the text messages that he had been receiving. When police saw the texts, that is when they began began to think that Carrie could have possibly just skipped town. They thought that maybe she was upset over a breakup and just needed some time on her own. So because of this, after seeing the text messages, their concern about Carrie died down and they reiterated to Dave to not respond to any of the messages and that Carrie would ultimately stop harassing him at some point. Now, authorities also reached out to Carrie's phone number directly, and that is when she texted them saying that she moved to Kansas for a new job and was going to be getting in touch with her mom, Nancy, to make arrangements about coming to pick up her teenage son. Now, along with this, Nancy also revealed to police that Carrie had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She explained to police how Carrie sometimes would not take her medication because it made her feel numb. But it did shock her family when they learned that Carrie's medication was found in her home, along with all of her belongings. Everything in Carrie's house was left exactly as it had been, as if it were any other normal day. All of her clothes were there, everything was still in its place, and even if Carrie were to leave, she would normally take her medication with her, regardless of if she wasn't taking it at the time. It wasn't something she would leave behind if she knew she was going to be gone for an extended period of time. Now, now, shortly after filing the missing persons report, Nancy began receiving Facebook messages from Carrie. Now, in these messages, Carrie told Nancy that she wasn't missing. She just didn't want to come home. She messaged her sparingly over the next couple months. She wrote her on Mother's Day, telling her happy Mother's Day. And she told her mom the same story about how she had moved to Kansas and would come back to pick up her son soon. However, something didn't sit right with Nancy. Whenever 
whenever Nancy received a message or a text from Carrie, she would always respond by asking Carrie to call her so she could hear her voice, but Carrie always refused to call. Now, even though it was mother's intuition that something was wrong with her daughter, there were also other contributing factors that Nancy knew Carrie would not miss. Carrie's father was very, very sick around the time that Carrie went missing and ended up passing away, and Nancy knew that Carrie would not have missed saying goodbye to her dad during the time that he was ill. Along with that, Carrie also missed her half-brother's wedding, something her family knew that she would not have missed voluntarily, and Carrie ended up messaging Nancy after the funeral of her father apologizing for missing it, and Nancy responded by saying, quote, the only way I'll know this is you is if you call me and I can hear your voice, end quote. But again, Carrie never called. Now, even though police told Dave that Carrie's harassment would and should die down, the opposite ended up happening instead. Over the next several months after Carrie went missing, Dave continued to receive harassing text messages from Carrie. On average, Dave claimed to have received 50 text messages a day and over 100 emails a day, all from Carrie. And this harassment would continue for the next three years. But the harassment didn't just stop with Dave. One day while Dave was at his apartment, Liz actually came by and told him that she was receiving the same harassment from Carrie. She said that Carrie somehow got a hold of her phone number and email and had been harassing her with texts, threatening her to leave Dave alone. Now, at this point, Liz and Dave kind of had an on and off relationship or on and off casual dating situationship, if you will. They would see each other for a little bit of time and then they wouldn't. So it was very on and off. And Liz told Dave that Carrie must be jealous about the connection that Liz and Dave had and must have been jealous about that very first night when Liz came by during their first date to retrieve their things. Now, Liz claimed that she had been receiving the texts and the emails for a little bit of time, but really didn't want to drag Dave into it, wanted to keep her space from all of it. However, the reason that she came and told Dave this time was because things had ramped up. And the reason that Liz went to see Dave this time about it all is because Liz's car had been keyed and Liz thought that Carrie was the one behind it. Now, soon after this, Carrie messaged Dave while he was at work a picture of Liz's home. Carrie claimed that she was inside Liz's house and Dave did not know what to do at that moment. He now realized that Carrie was not going to just go away on her own accord or voluntarily and that instead things were escalating. Dave called Liz and told her what happened and profusely apologized because he felt like a lot of this was his fault. He felt like he brought Carrie into his life and because of that, Carrie was threatening the people around him. Now, after this phone call, Dave and Liz decided to meet at Liz's house together and when they got there they saw that Carrie had spray painted on Liz's wall the word whore. Now at this point police were called again and a report had been filed. Now because of the shared harassment Liz and Dave really got close during this time. They were able to lean on each other throughout a lot of this. Neither of them have experienced anything like this before so they were able to lean on each other during this process and Dave said that the two felt safe together. And so because of that, Dave and Liz's relationship rekindled. Now, soon after the spray painting incident, Liz was supposed to meet Dave at his apartment one day after work, and Liz arrived to the apartment first, and she was absolutely horrified when she walked in because she saw that someone had broken into his apartment. She immediately called Dave and told him what was going on, and Dave raced over to his place, and upon arriving, he saw that the window to his apartment had been smashed in, and the words, go away, whore, had been written in red lipstick over his bed. On the bed were Liz's clothes that she had kept at Dave's apartment that had been torn and cut up. And the messages just kept coming. 
Carrie began texting Dave that she would kill Liz if Liz did not leave Dave alone. Now, at this point, police felt with all of the harassment that they had enough probable evidence to go ahead and put out an arrest warrant on Carrie. But that is all that they could do at this point because no one could physically find her. Even though everyone was receiving all of this harassment, all of this was coming from Carrie. No one knew where Carrie was. She wasn't at her house. She wasn't at her mom's house. She wasn't at a friend's house. No one could physically find her. No one could track her down. So because of that, all they could do was put out the arrest warrant. That really was the last option because again, no one knew where she was. Everyone was seeing the messages that she was sending, seeing the emails that she was sending, but no one could find her. Now, over the next few months, the harassment continued and Dave was constantly getting messages from Carrie saying she knew where he was, that she could get into his apartment building and really was mentally torturing Dave at this point. That's what it came down to. It was constant stalking. Dave constantly lived on edge, constantly lived in fear, constantly lived thinking that something was going to happen to him or to Liz. He was just in this constant state of worry and looking over his shoulder. Then after about 10 months since anyone had seen Carrie on August 17th, 2013, things took a very chilling turn. Now, by this point, Liz and Dave had ended their relationship a few weeks prior and decided it was best to go their separate ways. So they ended their relationship late July, early August. But on August 17th, 2013, there was reporting of a house fire at Liz's home in Omaha. Now, according to Liz, she claimed that her and her kids were gone for the night and that she left the home on August 16th at approximately 3 p.m. and didn't return home until 7.30 a.m. the next morning, and that is when she discovered her house was in flames. Liz immediately called 911, and when police arrived, she told them that she was in the process of moving houses, which is why she was gone the night prior. Now, luckily, Liz's children were not in the house. They were safe at the time. However, sadly, when firefighters were able to put out the fire, they found that four of Liz's pets had sadly died in the house fire. Now, it did not take long for police to determine that this fire was set intentionally. Investigators found at least six different points of origin of this fire and also found accelerants when they were searching the home. Now, when Dave heard that Liz's house burnt down, he immediately got a pit in his stomach. This house fire really was a turning point in this investigation because, first of all, everyone knew that Carrie was responsible for this house fire. Dave knew it, Liz knew it, police figured it at this point, and it really showed everyone that this was going further than just harassing texts or emails. This was turning into something far more sinister than anyone could have ever imagined. On August 16th, the night before the fire at 11.57 p.m., Dave received an email from Carrie saying, quote, I am not lying. I set that nasty whore's house on fire, and I hope the whore and her kids die in it. End quote. Now, Dave was sleeping at the time that he received that email, so he again didn't see it until the next day. And then on the 17th of August, Liz also received an email from Carrie claiming that she hoped her and her kids died in the fire. Now, again, when Dave heard about this house fire, he immediately dropped everything and drove over to Liz's house. And at this point, the fire trucks and the paramedics were all wrapping up what they were doing with putting out the fire. And Dave said that when he got there, he he saw Liz crying by herself over what had happened. Now, after the house fire, Liz ended up moving away and she did not tell Dave where she was moving. She told Dave she really didn't want any other contact with Dave and that even went as far as him knowing where she was moving because simply she was afraid of what Carrie was capable of and what she was going to do next. So she ends up moving and Dave decides that he was going to move too. He decided to move to Council Bluffs 
Iowa. He changed his phone number. And because of that, the contact with Carrie did slow down a little bit. And Dave felt like maybe he was finally able to escape the torture that he had been dealing with. He did claim that even though he understood why Liz was moving and why she didn't want to tell him where she was living, he completely understood that. However, it was sad for him. He felt a little bit more alone in this process after that, because even though he knew that it was for Liz and for her safety and best for her, it made him sad that this is what his life had come to, that this was the reality of the situation that he was dealing with and that he was dealing with someone that he thought was a loose cannon. He did not know what was going to happen next. And again, even though the harassment did slow down a little bit after he moved, that was only temporary. Once Dave had moved, he ended up getting back into the dating scene. He got back onto online dating and really just started to live his life normally again. He started matching with women, having conversations, and he ended up matching with one girl in particular that he ended up planning a date with. So Dave arrives to the restaurant on the night of the set date. However, after some time, the woman does not show up. And Dave at this point figured that he had been stood up. However, right as Dave was about to get up from the table and walk out of the restaurant, he received a text message from the girl that he was supposed to go on a date with. And this message said, quote, this is Carrie F. You, end quote. Now, immediately, Dave has a pit in his stomach yet again because it just feels like no matter what he tries to do, he cannot escape Carrie. And beyond that, it's even more frustrating for Dave knowing that no one knows where Carrie is. Carrie is able to pull all of this off. She's able to harass all of these people. She's able to be everywhere at once, technically, without being anywhere at all. And that was incredibly frustrating for Dave. And this is when things began to ramp up even more because instead of it just being Dave that was receiving the harassment, instead of it just being Liz, now Dave's ex, Amy, the mother of his kids, the woman that he had been in a relationship with for 12 years, this is when Amy gets roped into all of this as well. This is when Carrie begins texting Amy, threatening her, saying that she was going to kill her, and the messages went even further than that because this is when Carrie begins threatening Dave and Amy's children. Carrie also began stalking Amy whenever her and her kids would go anywhere, whether that be the playground or the store. Carrie would always text Amy saying that she knew what they were doing, whether it was a certain activity or a piece of clothing that they were wearing. Carrie seemed to always know what they were doing. And this is when the fear really ramped up for both Amy and Dave. So now I kind of want to switch gears for a second and really talk about the investigation process in this case, because this is when the Pottawatomie Sheriff's Department gets involved. And this is a small sheriff's department in Iowa where Sheriff Jim Doty and Ryan Davis worked at. Now, before this, the Omaha Police Department was handling Carrie's case. However, there really hadn't been any movement on it for a few years at this point. It really just stood still as an open missing persons investigation. But that is when Avis and Doty worked together to see if they could take over the case, which ultimately they got the green light on. Now, this case always stood out to the two of them, and they were really determined to solve it for a multitude of reasons. And the first thing that they wanted to do once they received the green light to take over this case was they wanted to speak to Carrie's mom, Nancy. So they drove over to Nancy's home to help get an understanding of everything that happened from Nancy's perspective. Now, according to Nancy, she claimed that when Dodie and Avis arrived at her front door, she really kind of gave them a little bit of the cold shoulder because up until this point, she had really lost faith in the justice system and lost faith that anything was going to be done in her daughter's case. Up until this point, it had been years since anything had been done in Carrie's case, years since she had received any update in her daughter's case. However, regardless, Nancy sat there and answered all of the questions that Avis and Dodie had for her. She told them, that the last time she physically saw Carrie was on November 11th, 2012. However, the last time Carrie was seen was on November 13th, 2012. Nancy also told them about Carrie's bipolar disorder and how she didn't take her medication with her when she went missing and how the initial investigators chalked up her disappearance to her having a mental health breakdown and fleeing the state. But Dodie and Avis weren't as convinced that that is what was happening. They 
knew that just having the digital footprint of the text messages and the emails and the social media wasn't proof enough that Carrie was alive. No one had physically seen Carrie in over two years at this point, and they went through Carrie's bank records and saw that there were no transactions that were made after November 19th. There were two transactions made on November 19th. One was to a family dollar and one was at a Walmart in Omaha. So that was about a week after she was last seen. But after that, there was absolutely no activity from Carrie's bank accounts. Now, at this point in their investigation, Avis and Doty came to the conclusion that they did not think that Carrie Farver left town voluntarily or disappeared voluntarily. They began to think that foul play was involved in this case, which really turned this case on its head from where it was originally. Like Nancy had mentioned to investigators, the initial investigation really painted this out to be Carrie having a mental health crisis or she was just off dealing with a bad breakup. No one really thought that this could have been the result of foul play because of the digital footprint that Carrie was leaving behind, but no one thought to look deeper than that. So at this point, the investigators needed to work backwards. They knew that if something had happened to Carrie, then clearly she was not the one sending the text messages and the emails. So in order to figure out what happened to Carrie, they realized that they needed to figure out who was sending the messages behind the screen pretending to be her. So that is when they recruited a man named Tony Cava, who worked for the Potawatomi Sheriff's Department in IT, and he was also a volunteer deputy. Now, when Tony came onto this case, he went through over two years of digital evidence. There were hundreds of thousands of texts and emails to scour through. Now, Tony's plan was to try and find the IP address that was used for the emails that were being sent under Carrie's email. He believed that if they found the IP address, that they would be able to narrow down the actual physical address and the physical location of where these emails were being sent from, which in turn would hopefully show who was sending the emails. If it was a house, they would be able to figure out who owns the house and narrow it down that way. That was the goal here. But Tony ended up running into some problems at first because it seemed that whoever was doing this, whoever was responsible for this, was doing a very good job at trying to hide their IP address. So because of this, Tony came up with his own program to get through all of the barriers to get to the actual IP address. And finally, he was able to narrow it down. The IP address that was seen most frequently and that investigators were confident was the IP address that they needed was 174.71.6.113. Now, this IP address was connected to a house in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Now, the man who owned this home the home that the IP address was connected to was a man named Todd Butterball. Now here is where things get weirdly connected. So Tony Cava was actually Todd Butterball's boss. They both worked in IT together for the Pottawatomie County. So Tony was completely caught off guard here and it was very uncomfortable and it really only brought up more questions at this point. But with these findings, police were able to get a search warrant to search through Todd Butterbaugh's home. Todd claimed to have no idea what was going on. He was very confused about all of this, had no idea what was happening, and he was brought to the station to speak with authorities and police were able to explain to him what was really going on on and asked if anyone else in his home was living there or using his Wi-Fi that would be able to explain why the IP was led back to Todd's home. But this is when Todd explains to the police that he does have a girlfriend that had been living with him. And in fact, he claimed that this girlfriend and him had an on-again, off-again relationship. However, the girlfriend and her two kids had been living with him ever since her house burnt down. Does that sound familiar? Because the on-again, off-again girlfriend was none other than Liz Goyer. 
Now, Todd and Liz had met in September 2010 on an online dating website, and they dated on and off until September of 2015. So she was actually on and off with her relationship with Todd throughout her time with Dave as well. Now, Todd also helped Liz out financially. He would help her with her bills. He bought her a car at one point and again, let her move into his home with her two children. Now, Todd claimed that he didn't know the full extent of Liz's relationship with Dave, and according to him, he claimed from his understanding, Dave was someone that Liz had dated prior to him and Liz meeting, and that the two remained friends after their relationship had ended, but it was nothing more than that. So that was the story that Liz was telling Todd, not that she was still in an on-again, off-again relationship, not that she had met Dave after meeting Todd. It was very much they had met, they dated briefly before Todd, and just remained friends after that. Now, when Tony pieces together this puzzle, when he's starting to figure out what's really happening here, this is when he tells Avis and Dodie, and the two could not believe it. And this, again, is when the puzzle pieces begin coming together, the puzzle pieces that they had been looking for for all of these years. Because up until this point, for years, Liz had been looked at as the victim and someone who was shown sympathy for, when in reality, she was the stalker the whole time time. She was the one responsible for sending the emails, sending the text messages, for constantly harassing Dave and Amy. It was all her. It was even her sending the emails and text messages to herself. It was her that was vandalizing the home, writing whore on the walls and whore above the bed. And when police told Dave this, when he heard this for the first time, he claimed that his brain was spinning and he could not fathom them what he was being told. And what everyone was realizing by now, the sad reality that came with this fact that Liz was responsible for all of this, what this meant is that Carrie more than likely was dead at this point. And this was a realization that no one ever wanted to have to come to because it almost seemed hard to believe. It was hard to believe that Liz would paint herself as a victim for years on end. She would be the shoulder that Dave would cry on. They would lean on each other. She would harass Dave simultaneously. She would harass Amy, harass their children. She would pretend to send those messages to herself through email or text. And she would even try and be as convincing as burning her house down, claiming that it was Carrie. That is the lengths that she was going to, to try and play this part, to play this act, to be convincing. Now, even though all of this information was spinning everyone's heads, it was throwing everyone through a loop, it still wasn't enough to arrest Liz at that point. So now the investigators had to go back through all of the original evidence that the original investigators had gone through, looking at it from a different lens. Because instead of looking at it from the lens of Carrie was responsible for all of this, we're now looking at it as Carrie is the victim and Liz is the prime suspect. So this included going back through Liz's phone details that had been obtained. When doing so, they found that the original investigators had actually missed something. The thing that they had missed was a picture of Carrie's car. And the reason that this is important is because Carrie's car wasn't recovered until January 8th, 2013. However, on Liz's phone, there was a picture of Carrie's car on Christmas Eve, which suggests that Liz knew where Carrie's car was the whole time when everyone else was trying to find it. They also figured out that when Carrie's car was processed, there was a mint container found in the center console of Carrie's car. And when they processed that mint container for any fingerprints, there was one fingerprint on that mint container, and it came back as a direct match to Liz, which meant at one point Liz was in Carrie's car. Now, even though this is another big break in the case, it still wasn't enough for an arrest. The police didn't have a strong enough case at this point to prove that Liz was responsible for Carrie's disappearance and potential murder because it's very very hard to prove a murder without an actual body. This is something that we've discussed before. It's very, very difficult to prove someone has killed someone without that physical evidence. 
So this is when police decide that they are going to put a tracker on Liz's car and see what she does. They're going to see what she's doing, see where she's driving around. And when doing so, they see that Liz had been circling Amy's property several times a day. And this really made detectives worry for Amy's safety and for Dave's children's safety. So this brings us to December 5th of 2015. Now on this night, there was a 911 call that operated received from a woman who claimed that she had been shot in Big Lake Park. Now, immediately when detectives heard this over the radio, they claimed that they got a pit in their stomachs because they truly believed that Amy had been shot. So they rush over to the scene. However, once they arrived, they were surprised to see that Amy was not the one shot, but that Liz had been shot in the leg. On the 911 call, Liz claimed that she didn't know who her attacker was. However, she did say that it was a woman who shot her. Now, once Liz had healed at the hospital and was released, she was invited to the sheriff's office to do an interview with them to discuss what had happened. Now, when doing so, Liz claimed that Amy was the one who shot her. So even though initially she claimed she didn't know who shot her, now she is saying definitively that it was Amy who shot her in the leg. Now, authorities went into this interview with a strategy because they did not believe that Amy was the one who shot Liz. Not only did Amy have an alibi for the night that Liz got shot, but police knew that this was another ploy in Liz's game. This was just another game that she was playing with them. And again, this only shows the extent that Liz was willing to go. So police knew that Liz was going to try and spin this and say that Amy shot her. However, they were going to try and strategize with Liz. It was also around this time that Dave noticed that the gun that he had kept in his apartment in a case was missing and had been for some time. So this only furthers this theory that Liz stole the gun from Dave's apartment, shot herself in the leg in order to frame Amy. Now, in this interview, Liz claims that Amy had a lot of hostility towards her and claimed that the hostility wasn't just directed at her, but towards Carrie as well. Now, again, police did not believe this, but they finished this interview by telling Liz to let them know if Amy starts threatening her. Now, it did not take long after the interview for Liz to send over emails that she claimed were from Amy confessing to shooting Liz. One email read, quote, I shot you at Big Lake Park because you wouldn't stay away from Dave end quote. Now again, police did not have enough evidence to arrest Liz at this point. The case was not strong enough because again, at this point, they are trying to pin Liz for Carrie's disappearance and murder. However, their case is not strong enough for that. So police decide to start at square one again and strategize a new plan. And this plan was to tell Dave that he needs to move back in with Amy and stay there with her and her kids. Now, there were two reasons that police suggested that Dave did this. The first one was simply for safety. At this point, Liz was circling Amy's house. She was sending threats and police did not know what Liz was capable of or what she was willing to do next. And secondly, they did this because their deeper rooted plan here was that they wanted to send Liz over the edge to see if she would ultimately confess about what happened to Carrie. Now, the reason that they knew that she would more than likely do this is because they knew that Liz Liz was looking to pin Amy for all of this. And if that didn't work, she was more than likely going to try and pin Amy for Carrie's murder. So because of this, they tell Dave, move back into the house with Amy and Dave agrees to do so. Now, the police's plan was actually working because when Liz heard or got news of Dave moving back in with Amy, Liz herself called police to tell them that she was not happy about it. She told them that it was not fair that Amy gets to shoot someone and not get arrested. She was getting very upset over the phone. She was speaking very fast. Her voice was raising. And she said that it wasn't fair that Amy got to move back in with Dave after everything that she had done. Now, police responded to Liz by saying, you know, there really wasn't anything that they could do because Amy wasn't willing to talk to them. However, if she had any information that would connect Amy on a larger scale to either Carrie's disappearance or Carrie's murder, then that's something that they could work with. 
So after this phone call, very shortly after this phone call, police receive another email from Liz claiming that this is an email that Amy sent her. So she's forwarding police an email from Amy's email, which again, police know to be Liz at this point. And in the email, this is the confession. This is the confession email. And this email goes into specifics about Carrie's murder. In this email, it is claimed that the murder happened on a Wednesday and that Carrie had been stabbed twice in the stomach and in the chest before moving her car into an abandoned parking lot. She then claims she pulled Carrie's body out of the car before covering it with a tarp and lighting it on fire. She claimed that she cleaned the car out before putting the remains in garbage bags and throwing the remains in the dumpster. Now with these emails, Avis and Dodie are able to go back to Carrie's car and have it processed again. And this time they were looking for blood. They looked for any traces of blood evidence. They used luminol. They tore the car apart. They completely tore the car apart. And in doing so, finally, on the passenger seat of the car, after they tore off the leather seating, they found traces of a big red stain that resembled blood. And this was the smoking gun that gave them the green light to arrest Liz Golier. Now, immediately upon her arrest, Liz denied all accusations. She denied that she was ever in Carrie's car. She denied that she was responsible for any of it and denied absolutely everything. And ultimately, she asked for a lawyer. So now this case was set to go to trial. But again, the big thing that everyone on the prosecution side was worried about is how do you prove murder without a body? This was the big question. So detectives went back to Dave and interviewed him again. This include Avis and Dodie and Tony Cava. Again, he was the IT guy who tracked down the IP address, and he asked Dave if he could think back and think of any electronic devices that he had around the time that Carrie went missing that they could look at. So at this point, Dave decides to go to his storage shed, and he's looking through, and that is when he finds an old, old tablet of his that he was using around 2012, and he hands it over to police. Now, initially, Dave didn't think that there was going to be anything on this tablet. He didn't believe that it was going to be any help at all, but again, it was a last stitch effort. So Tony starts looking into this tablet and again, he didn't see anything at first glance. However, he did notice upon further inspection that there was a micro SD card that was inserted into the tablet. Now, when Tony examined the micro SD card, he saw that everything had been wiped clean. However, he was able to retrieve all of the deleted information. And after doing so is when he was able to retrieve thousands of pieces of data. He was able to retrieve over 11,000 pictures that were on this micro SD card. And most of these pictures were of Liz. They were mostly selfies of Liz. And this is when Tony began to realize that this micro SD card was the SD card from Liz's cell phone from around the time that Carrie went missing. And this was like hitting the jackpot. So this is when Tony begins scrolling through all these pictures. He's looking through all of the pictures and upon further inspection is when he notices a photo that really stood out to him just because it was a little bit different. It was different than the other photos and the other selfies because this photo was actually of a foot and not only was it any foot, but it was a foot that had a tattoo. Now this foot with this tattoo was the same tattoo that Carrie had on her foot. On Carrie's foot, she had a tattoo for the Chinese symbol for mother. And because of this, this confirmed that the photo on Liz's SD card was in fact a picture of Carrie's deceased body. Now they were able to confirm that the picture was taken after Carrie was dead due to the state of decomposition. Even though it was taken very shortly after Carrie had died, there were still distinguishing factors that led them to believe and confirm that this that the picture was taken after she was murdered. So this case ends up going to trial, like I said, because Liz pleads not guilty and 
all of the evidence was shown during the trial, all of the evidence that I have told you in this case. And there was something else that was brought up in the trial that we haven't talked about yet. And that was that several days after Carrie's disappearance, Carrie, quote unquote, or Carrie's phone number texted her boss saying that she was quitting her job and that a woman named Shanna Golier was going to be replacing her. Now, if you guys remember in the very, very beginning, I told you that Liz's full name was Shanna Elizabeth Golier. Now, I don't know what the purpose was for Liz to use her actual name in this. For her to use her real name was very bold of her. However, again, she didn't get caught for many years, but it was bold. Now, another piece of information that the prosecution showed was that after Liz's arrest and police went and looked through Liz's apartment, they found multiple items that belonged to Carrie. The first was a camera, there was also a camcorder, and a black and white shower curtain. Now, ultimately, Liz was found guilty and convicted of first-degree murder as well as second-degree arson, and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, after the trial was concluded, there was a scholarship that started in Carrie's name. This scholarship helped students who are pursuing careers in information technology as Carrie had a job as a program analyst. So I wanted to throw that piece of information in there as well. But that, you guys, is the case of Carrie Farver. I told you from the beginning, it's twisted, it's convoluted, it is insane. It's an insane, insane case. It is crazy to think that Liz was able to get by tricking people for that long, manipulating people for that many years. The fact that she was able to put up a facade, the fact that she was able to go to the lengths that she did, burning her own house down, killing her four pets, shooting herself in the leg. Those were the lengths that she was willing to go to all to have Dave to herself. Now, granted, there might have been a deeper rooted motive that goes beyond Dave. However, on the surface level, it does definitely seem that the motive here was that she did not want anyone else to have Dave. Dave was someone that she deemed as hers and anyone that got in her way of that was going to be taken down in her mind and she would do anything and everything in order to do so. So I am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already again we post weekly here every single wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it i'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by march 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly because no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax makes them count that means getting 100 back and 100 accurate taxes only from intuit TurboTax. must file by 331 credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service offer can be modified or terminated at any time 